Welcome to Harvest Beyond Sunday, a podcast that seeks to equip and inform the members of Harvest Church. My name is Jamie Trussell. I have the privilege of serving as a pastor and elder here at Harvest Church, and this week joined by one of my friends, uh, but also a real gift to our body and a fellow elder, Dr. Chuck Hannaford. Chuck, thanks for being here with us. Jamie, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. So lots of things we could talk about. I feel like you've got expertise in so many fields, but uh, I know just through our friendship and relationship, you really blessed me and my marriage. And so I thought that uh, for this podcast this week, we could talk about marriage. Uh, I know you've been teaching a class that here recently at Harvest Church, but maybe starting off in this direction of, uh, you know, I was told when we're doing our premarital counseling and the guy that married us, uh, Dr. Cole Huffman, told me the three most important words in my marriage were not going to be, I love you. They were going to be, I forgive you. Yeah. And I've heard you speak in the past about just forgiveness and unforgiveness inside of marriage. Do you affirm what Cole said uh, as far as forgiveness inside of marriage and the power uh, or, or disruption that can happen around that? Oh, absolutely. I think, I think unforgiveness in marriage or in any relationship is probably the most destructive force that exists. And I think over time, unforgiveness um, is something that just erodes uh, trust. And um, there, there was a book recently that Moody published in November of last year, and they talk about marriage, and they talk about the fact that anything, if we were created uh, for relationship and connection with God and one another, especially in marriage, anything that separates or individuates us, uh, one of the authors calls anti-creation. Mm. And so unforgiveness uh, always separates and divides in marriage. And so from that standpoint, it's an element of anti-creation, and I think we need to pay real attention to it. When you, uh, I mean, obviously you meet with tons of married couples, and even in your practice and a ton of marriage counseling, is this a... A common thread you've seen in almost every relationship at some level? It's a huge problem because people um, in marital relationships are more vulnerable to one another than they are anybody else. And so when there are slights or hurts or they don't uh, intentionally work on their own soul and their own self-awareness, resentment does tend to build. And um, that's where unforgiveness comes in, and somebody wants to find life is something that happens to us when we're busy doing other things, and so mm-hmm. we have to be very intentional. Um, and, and forgiveness, uh, at some point we'll get into a definition. I can do that now if you'd like, but I, I, I think going to Matthew 18, beginning in about verse 25, where uh, the master had a slave that owed him uh, a whole lot of money, even in today's terms, uh, forgave the debt, and then the slave who had another slave who owed him had wanted to have him put in prison. And so we look at forgiveness in many ways as an economic concept. It's even in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so when there's injury that occurs in a relationship, especially in marriage, it does create a debt. And so a real simple definition of forgiveness is that it's an act of my will making use of God's grace to cancel a debt that's owed me. That's good. Well, and the reality is uh, forgiveness is always costly. If you just want to keep the economic term going, it costs me something every time I forgive somebody. That is correct. And at least in my own life, withholding forgiveness, which I'm tempted to do, I feel like just as anyone else is, uh, 
a lot of times that's because I don't want to pay the cost of letting go of my pride, letting go of what I think is my right to have someone uh, uh, you know, apologize to me in a certain way, in a certain manner. You know, If they don't follow uh, certain steps, then I'll just keep withholding forgiveness. And, and it plays out in practical ways of like, well, I'm not sure you're really sorry. Right. There's, uh, there's a great dynamic that you just pointed out uh, that I think we probably need to get into. But I think uh, somebody once said unforgiveness toward another is like taking the po- taking a poison and waiting for them to get sick. So we, we often withhold forgiveness uh, in order to keep the other person hostage to some degree. It's almost like we're trying to punish them. Yeah, and, and, and so we have to understand that forgiveness is the purposeful removal of my desire to avenge a wrong committed against me. Mm. Uh, it does cost us something, as you said. It costs God the death, the torture and death of his son on the cross. Right. And so we shouldn't expect that it's free for us. Okay, so Chuck, say that this is a there's, a, there's a marriage, let's take a hypothetical marriage, where unforgiveness is thematic and has been ongoing. Maybe at first it's something small, maybe you felt like, ah, that shouldn't hurt my feelings, you just stuff it or or whatever. So you've got a couple years of this theme. What are the outcomes that you see, typical outcomes in marriages where unforgiveness is a pretty common practice? Well, you instead of confluence in the marriage, you see constant conflict. You see, uh, you begin to see power struggles. Uh, you know, I often joke that when people come in to see me as a couple, both parties want me to identify with their issue, take sides against the other person. Mm-hmm. And so you, you begin to see when there's unforgiveness, one of the things you begin to see is we justify our negative actions against the other person. In other words, we, quote, have a reason. Uh, and, and, and again, the hostage scenario where we say they have to meet a certain standard in order to receive my forgiveness. Yep. And so you see the beginning of trust eroding. Uh, you 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 can't have reconciliation in a relationship without trust. And I think a lot of people get the whole idea of forgiveness wrong in that I can forgive you, uh, but I don't necessarily trust you at that point. Yeah. And trust is a commodity that's earned over time when there's consistency between what a person says and what they do. And so I think in the church world, sometimes we, we have this idea, if I forgive you, everything has to be okay. Back to normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but again, forgiveness is for my soul. It is a cleansing for me. Uh, Jesus even said uh, a truth principle that I really like. If you go to the altar to make a sacrifice and you're reminded that your brother or sister has something against you, don't expect to have fellowship and worship with me. Go make it right Mm -hmm. and then come back and offer up your sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So the principle there is that we have just this misconception uh, of what forgiveness is, and I think it is important for us to realize that it's something that is destructive to our souls, independent of how it destroys the relationship. And Chuck, maybe you can help uh, me with something I've been sharing and thinking through with forgiveness uh, as well. Is that you know I can I think I can forgive you without you ever acknowledging what you've done wrong. Mm. Okay, so I can I think I can offer forgiveness. You don't necessarily have to come with your repentance towards me if you've wronged me. I don't think 
we can be reconciled without your repentance towards me. I, I believe that is exactly true. Uh, the the idea <clears throat> of another person who comes to me seeking my forgiveness, and I see a godly sorrow, I see somebody that really gets the offense that they've committed against me, leads me to desire reconciliation right. with them. That's right. the first step of trust, and you can't have reconciliation, in my opinion, without being able to trust. Right. But if if I come to you uh, and ask your forgiveness, I get the gift of your forgiveness. But if somebody offends me and is not repentant, then I need to forgive for my benefit. They don't receive the gift. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, you can't be reconciled because you don't trust that person. You don't trust that person to see your heart and the damage they've done. And it's interesting uh, to me, too, looking inside of my own heart and and maybe other people will identify with this as well. It's a really, you know, our hearts are so layered with deception at times. It's interesting to me, though, that when I can ask someone to forgive me and they say yes, but they still don't want to immediately treat me the same way or restore me back to the same position, or maybe their feelings are still hurt, even though they've just forgiven me. It's a good check on me to go, did I really seek forgiveness or was I just saying the right thing to try to get this uh, uncomfortable situation to go away or you know if someone doesn't put you back in that restored spot where you want to be immediately because you really have wronged them and that angers you or upsets you and you kind of blow back up at that person to me it's a pretty good indicator that that pursuit of forgiveness may not have been genuine in that moment and I do think that plays out in our marriages our friendships our family relationships all the time yeah I go back to this the this notion that Paul said it's a godly sorrow that re- leads to repentance and I think there's a principle there <clears throat> biblically that if if someone is genuine and I perceive that they really mean it and they understood understand the damage that, that I've incurred because of uh, whatever conflict or injury uh, then I am going to be, more willing to forgive because I think they get it. Now, oftentimes, if we continue to blow up at someone, even after they've asked us to forgive them, I want to look at it this way. Uh, If a person is constantly reminding someone of the offense, Mm -hmm. if in some way they're vengeful, Mm -hmm. just to use a word that we all understand uh, as Christians, uh, and, and we look at Romans twelve nineteen, where Paul says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like this image. If you're sitting in church on Sunday morning, <clears throat> the offering basket goes in front of you and there's a $100 bill in there. <clears throat> you wouldn't take that $100 bill out of the offering basket and put it in your pocket. That's stealing from God. Mm-hmm. And so when we constantly enact vengeance on another person, we're really stealing from God. We're taking something that doesn't belong to us. Mm. And so that image has helped a lot of people see uh, that um, they haven't really forgiven because once we forgive, we don't need to keep bringing up the offense. It doesn't mean that the feelings won't still be there. It doesn't mean that we won't be reminded at times. Or struggle to trust at times. Exactly. So forgiveness is an ongoing process. It's not seven times. It's 70 times seven. And so... Mm -hmm. Kind of the image that goes with that is um, 
you're reminded of the offense, uh, you, you have to, in your own heart, cancel that debt again. You've already done it once. You don't need to constantly seek forgiveness for the same thing. But internally, you have to say, I've forgiven that. that. That's paid. That debt is paid. I can't get it back. Um, and, and, and so that's the process. Now, uh, a couple maybe scriptural warnings against withholding it. I think we have to realize the Bible is pretty clear uh, that if we do not offer forgiveness towards someone, uh, there's a little bit of a danger to our soul there. If we can go our whole life, we can go our whole life mm-hmm. and never actually forgive someone, uh, there is a chance at least that we don't truly know the Lord and have experienced his forgiveness. And the other part is, uh, you've already mentioned Paul a couple times this morning, and Paul's pretty clear that unforgiveness, it lays fertile soil for demonic attack and spiritual mm-hmm. warfare, mm-hmm. you know, lest you know Satan not get a single foothold in there, and and he does relate a lot of spiritual warfare to unforgiveness in and of itself. Have you uh, would you affirm that, or or have you seen that play out? Yeah, you you're just basically referring to Ephesians four twenty six, and and it's it, it's kind of like um, um, if a lot of people don't really understand the, the the emotional paradigm and um, if you look at anger uh, anger is almost always a secondary emotion the primary emotions are hurt rejection fear frustration betrayal and best defense is a good offense mm-hmm. so you're hurt you you feel betrayed you immediately get angry if the sun sets on your anger it, it it turns into resentment, and resentment over time becomes bitterness. And the mm-hmm. Bible refers to bitterness as having roots that grow deep. And so you act disproportionately to minor situations, right. which is an indication that there's resentment and bitterness. And so it it's incumbent upon all of us uh, to search our hearts and to understand uh, where that root comes from, because oftentimes we deal with anger and we say, when you do that, it makes me angry, but we don't take responsibility for the fact that we're hurt and we're handling the anger in a wrong way. Mm-hmm. What are some, uh, you know, through, I guess, not only your research, but through your experience, uh, does unforgiveness, uh, uh, maybe not just in marriage, but in relationships in general, is it a slow creep over small things? Is it, uh, just these massive things that happen out of nowhere or what, what generally builds those roots of bitterness that you would counsel people? Hey, if you see you doing these three things, Mm -hmm. uh, reacting this way, responding this way, feeling this way, uh, that's an indicator that maybe there's some unforgiveness in your heart or some work to do. Yeah, I think, I think it goes back to injuries and I think a good example would be, uh, so if I dropped a 10-pound rock on your foot, whether I did it intentionally or not, there's pain associated with that. And uh, what we tend to do is protect our injuries. So anybody that gets close to the foot, uh, we we tend to back up or we push them away. And emotionally, it's the same thing. So we can experience woundedness in our life, uh, whether it's rejection or betrayal. and so it tends to be generalized, especially in our closer relationships in life. And so when we begin to protect ourselves, when we begin, we, we, we hear the word, uh, you're defensive or you're whatever. So those are narratives that tend to run with people. And so it, it becomes very important for them to understand that they're generalizing a specific wound 
to other people that are close to them in their lives. Mm. And they need to do business with that. They need mm. to be very intentional about that. Mm. So it, it, it can build over time. It, 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 uh, uh, somebody once told me that, you know, Paul talks about the wiles and the schemes of the devil in the word schemata, you know, an organized plan. And, it, and it, he's really pretty simple in the way I've seen this work out in relationships, especially marriage. So the plan is always to divide. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, going back to that anti-creation theme, it, 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 if we're one plus one equals one in marriage, and so anytime we go apart, anytime there are issues that are unresolved, anytime there's unforgiveness, we begin to move away from God's created intent, which is for us to be one. And so we have to be responsible for themes and narratives that have developed over time in our lives and understand that some of our anger and some of these other things that we experience in a defensive manner don't necessarily belong to the person to whom we're married. Mm. Yeah. What are some practical steps or advice you give couples on maybe, okay, you recognize there's unforgiveness or maybe you recognize that you're not withholding forgiveness, but you really were wishing your spouse asked forgiveness for something, but they seem totally oblivious that they might have done something wrong. And it's yeah. hard to go to somebody and be like, just so you know, I want you to know that I forgive you for that. And they look at you and go, for what? I didn't. Yeah. There's a better way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so so what are, you know, put some handles on it uh, for us, to, some real practical ways to, to take good, healthy steps in this direction. So in marriage, uh, I'm to be the primary vessel through which God expresses his love to my spouse. And I am responsible for anything that hinders or blocks my ability to both receive from God and express uh, through God in me to my spouse. And so we have to begin to take responsibility for those hindrances, those things that are blocking us. Our human nature we want to justify our behavior. We want to project blame and responsibility onto the other person. I have a right to feel this way because you did this. Well, that's not really true. We, we have to take personal responsibility. And so the way to communicate that then would be something like you go to your spouse and you say, uh, this is going to sound strange to a lot of people, but you, you say, you know, I really need to ask you to forgive me. You probably noticed that I've been distant, a little cranky or whatever. Because two days ago when you said this, it was really hurtful, and I got angry, and I kept it inside. Mm. And I need you to forgive me for the way I've handled this situation. Now, what, what that does is it communicates to the other person what you did was hurtful and offensive, but it does so in a way that the person takes responsibility for their reaction to it. And I often tell people, you know, God doesn't hold me responsible for what you do to me. He holds me responsible for what I do with what you've done to me. And so it, it gets back into all of us having a personal responsibility for anything that's damaging to our soul that prevents us from receiving grace and love from God so that we can express that love and grace. Yeah, and that, uh, that, that second point, I think we all— would really enjoy the aspect of receiving love and grace from God. Absolutely. The displaying and then transferring that love and grace of God to someone else is where a lot of times the hurdles pop up and they seem a little too high to jump because in my really sinful moment, I would enjoy hurting you because of what you've done to me more than displaying uh, a, 
a gospel catalyzed grace towards you for for whatever reason it feels good for me to see you suffer a little bit because of what you've done and thankfully uh Jesus doesn't take that disposition towards me but that's still deep deep inside of me yeah that's human nature i've heard so many times you're you're so on point uh, I would say, well, why did you do that? Why did you respond in that way? And the, and the answer would be, when they're being honest, I wanted him to hurt as much as he hurt me. And so that's just our natural human response. And we often operate out of the flesh, uh, which is often ignited by the enemy. Uh, and so I've got a little acronym to, to help you determine, to help people determine when they're operating out of the flesh or self. And I, and I use the SCLF. And this is helpful. It's been helpful to me. Uh, anytime I operate out of self, I'm sinning. Uh, self is enthroned and Christ is denied. The E in self stands for evading. Anytime I operate from self, I'm evading responsibility. I'm blaming others. I'm justifying my actions. Uh, anytime I operate from self, the L stands for lusting. Uh, that just means an intense desire. I'm, I'm, I have a desire to make my point known and I want to vindicate myself. And the F in self stands for forsaking. When I operate from my flesh or self, I'm forsaking God's right to control my life and forsaking my ability to propagate his kingdom, uh, whether that's in my marriage, in my church, or whatever. So our flesh and our humanity, we want to pay back. We want to let other people know how badly we've been hurt. And there are right ways to do that and wrong ways to do that. Well, your enthroning idea there is right on because we somehow assume that we can play a better arbiter and judge in that moment than God himself can. Yeah. And instead of, you mentioned Romans 12 earlier, entrusting someone to the Lord and saying, God's going to deal with it. God's going to do it. I don't have to deal with their sin. That's what what Jesus came to do. But when I play that role of going, I almost want to see a certain level of penance. And if I'm satisfied, somehow I've equated that to, if you satisfy me, then obviously God's satisfied. Well, that's such a perverted way of thinking and that in and of itself uh you have to seek forgiveness for even thinking that way towards someone else okay uh uh, as we wind down uh this morning chuck just wanted to know what are some if you had three four five whatever it is things if you're looking at a young couple you're looking at a couple which i'm seven years in a lot of people say sometimes around the 15 year mark a lot of couples really hit a rut for some reason um and then you're looking at a couple who's 30, 40 years in. Some exhortations as it relates to forgiveness that you would give these different seasons of marriage. Hmm. I think in each of those seasons, it's important uh, to be regular and intentional about self-monitoring uh, from the standpoint, uh, soul monitoring, and, uh, you know, we don't need to go on a treasure hunt of past hurts. Uh, what we need to do is we need to ask God to search our hearts. And if we have unresolved issues that we know affects our soul, and, and if it affects our soul, it affects our ability to receive grace, to receive love, and by definition, that impairs our ability to extend it. And so during different seasons, because you've got the childbearing and the child raising seasons and, you know, the husband becomes much less important in the life of the wife and the children become more so. And you've got uh, through life uh, empty nesters who, if they focus so much on their children, 
they find that they don't have too much in common anymore, and so they have to rediscover. Uh, and so all of these seasons of life, I think it's very important uh, for each person to know that God holds them responsible for whatever's going on that they need to confront and deal with. Uh, so we, uh, Kenan uh, preached recently about husbands who tend to be very passive. Uh, and I'll tell you, just through my experience in talking to many, many wives, uh, most of them don't like that. They, the, the wife needs to feel the husband is pursuing God in his life and fellowship with Christ in his life, and, and therefore there's that respect positionally for him. And when, when we get lazy and we don't do those things, we just invite all sorts of trouble yeah. in to our relationship. Hey, let me ask you, Joe, just thinking on this, uh, maybe our final question this morning. I had a friend recently who had a meeting, and in the meeting, there was a guy who had been literally cataloged probably 15 years worth of wrongs that had happened that had never been addressed before. What's your perspective on how do you go about the fact that maybe you've got stuff with a person, coworker, boss, family member? spouse whatever it is and it's deep and it's long but you have not done your due diligence in bringing those things up in real time along the way what's the right fair or godly way to try to navigate to me it doesn't it doesn't feel gracious to to uh, blindside someone with 15 years worth of wrongs that you've never uh, been willing to to bring up before that point so what would you just some some handles on how to navigate that uh, and then we'll wrap up. Well, I think the first thing is to take ownership. As I said previously, if, if I have held on to something for a long period of time, I am responsible for holding on to it. Therefore, uh, if I want to restore fellowship first with God and then with the other person, I have to take ownership of that. And the way I approach it is important because when we make amends, we don't want to do so in a way that it's harmful to the other person. And if I'm blindsided by 15 years oh, yeah. of hurts, that's disorienting. I, I'm going to, I'm going to feel so overwhelmed and so shocked. I'm not going to know how to respond. And so if a person comes and, and, and again, using the example I, I did earlier and says, look, you know, I, uh, and I had this happen in a work situation once before with a colleague. And, and for about a year, I'd talked behind his back. I'd been really angry with him and I asked him to breakfast, and I said, look, uh, the Lord has really convicted me. I've held on to this. I need to ask you to forgive me, and I told him what, he, what I thought he needed to forgive me for, and he was shocked, uh, and, but, but I didn't point out the wrongs he'd done to me. I pointed out the fact that I had harbored that, and my behavior in harboring that had not been right toward him, and uh, he was shocked. And um, uh, there was a trust issue, and I knew that I probably couldn't continue to trust that individual, so we eventually went our separate ways. But I had done my due diligence as far as the Lord was concerned. And so when you go to somebody, if there are a list of hurts that you have, in a, in a, in a, as you used the word thematic earlier, if, there, if there's a stronghold of rejection, if there is a stronghold of betrayal in one's life, and there's that... Um, withholding and isolating and self-protecting then that's my responsibility sure absolutely chuck thanks for being with us i know you're busy really appreciate it pleasure thank you for having me